What's up, everyone, and welcome to the Flip Flop Guy podcast. I'm Andy Mokel, and I'll be your host. Our goal is to have epic conversations with people from all walks of life. There are no talking points that are off the table. It's going to get wild. We hope our guests inspire and motivate you to walk with purpose as we trudge the road of human existence. Enjoy the show. Sweet, man. Yeah, the biggest thing is just like keeping things real mm-hmm. right keeping things raw absolutely you know and, yeah and we uh, say the same thing all the time with our projects that we film or photo shoot well whatever. and how redundant the, yeah. does everything become after mm-hmm. so long like for me being up a hundred plus episodes into the podcast wow um you know prior to me taking over all of the episodes and when uh my former business partner and mm-hmm. I were still, you know, going back and forth. He'd do one, I'd do one, he'd do one, I'd do one, whatever. How many times can you talk about yeah, hunting the same mm-hmm. species, the mm-hmm. same, you know what I mean? Like, Right. It gets redundant after a while. Yeah. I think it, it's because it's all like part of a, if, you know, not to sound sappy, but it's like, you know, art in general is... You know, if you're an artist in any shape or form, you can't do the same thing forever. Yeah. Because that's just like goes against like what I think kind of art is supposed to be. It's like constantly changing and evolving and organic. It's growing into something. You're changing and you're changing everything from the what you thought was cool. When I look at photos, like every once in a while, you'll get the like, uh, a reminder on Facebook or Instagram like look at your photo from six years ago you're like oh my god I was on it six years ago for one and then you look at that photo you're like oh man like that's what I thought was great you know or worth sharing you know and like and uh, it's crazy how like you know everyone's you're changing and I think your work should change you know your subjects and the what you think about stuff should change a little bit over time that's normal yeah totally growth as a human being or Yep. A spiritual being. Yep. In whatever, you know, river of life that we're involved in. Mm-hmm. Like it's constantly growing. It's yep. constantly changing. Yep. You know, it, a year ago, Canna. Canna? Uh, Con- we say Canna. Yeah. Canna? Yeah. So Canna uh-huh. Films. I hadn't ever yeah. met you. I hadn't heard about you. Mm-hmm. You know, Ben Potter was not like a. <laughs> A thing on my radar at yeah, all right. and I got to meet you at the Total Archery Challenge this uh-huh. year with yeah. Yeti and everybody that was out there having a good time right and lo and behold you're from California you're crushing it and so many different aspects of the outdoor you know filming and mm-hmm. your passion for the outdoors the hunts that you're getting to do yeah um, the projects that you're getting to be involved in from you know whether it was elk fever three or you have involvement with hunt 41 as uh-huh. well I believe. yeah right you know so there's so, and that's like big game to waterfowl right you know what i mean yeah. and, and that and the spectrum in itself right there is were you always were you always into waterfowl or were you into yeah. big game first no or? so i mean it's interesting yeah like uh, i grew up around waterfowl that was like my my jam oh really? still is yeah so my dad it's interesting my dad like you know his dad didn't hunt and it was his friends kind of getting him um 
you know, get him out in the field. And he kind of fell in love with bow hunting, like, back in the 60s and 70s. And um, so that, you know, he did that for a lot of years. And then for whatever reason, when I was, around the time I was born, um, he just kind of hung up the bow and just focused on waterfowl. And so I never really grew up around, you know, archery and uh, big game hunting. Um, yeah, I shot a handful of blacktails, you know, throughout California just from my rifle, uh, as you know, from a young age to probably, you know, into college and stuff. But now that hunting, through A zone or is yeah, that? Yeah, okay. mainly A zone. I mean, one of the bucks I shot was up by Ukiah. Mm -hmm. um, a family friend had some property and they were bucks everywhere. I mean, I don't think I appreciated it. Ukiah is pretty and, country uh, too. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. And as dry and hot as it yeah, is, it's definitely. I just remember there being deer everywhere you know <laughs> we put a stock on a buck and i think i was like probably 50 yards with a rifle really and just, all i could see was his head and so i smoked it in the head and uh that was uh, i was kind of 12 13 years old super young but so i grew up my first duck hunt though was when i was three years old my dad took me out to grizzly island and uh that was like the where it kind of started i just remember him pulling me out in a little sled and uh sitting you know, on a little tool stand, and and uh, the dog. I remember the Labrador. Just his head was. I felt like enormous coming back with this huge mallard in it, and everything. Um, it was just that was super fun. You know, really being, being a part of that. And, and I was. Was well, it your guys's dog, or was it the dog? It was our dog. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it was your family dog. Uh huh. So this is like a full. You guys drove up to Grizzly Island from. Oh yeah, where uh, this area? Uh, so I I grew up in East Area. Uh, oh okay. Brentwood. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, and so I grew up. I think in Brentwood. I knew that already. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, so we were hunting all over Sacramento Valley through you know Gray Lodge, Sutter, Calusa. I mean Sacramento Refuge. Heading sweat lines. Oh yeah, majority unless you drew, you know. But um, back then you could draw a lot easier. Um, Mendota, you know, even, you know, pretty much anything within three hours, we were hitting it up. So that was a majority of the refuges. You know, once a year, we'd go up to Klamath and, and hunt the Klamath uh, Basin, you know, on, uh, you know, uh, lower Klamath and Oregon side a little bit. That was always exciting and full of adventure, you know. I mean, um, there just was way less people up there back yeah. then. And uh, it's still still pretty chill. But, um but yeah, waterfowl was like kind of like where I, I cut my teeth in hunting. Just that's all I knew. You know, I never really was presented the opportunity to like pick up a bow or learn how to shoot a bow. Um, I think I was in junior high. I bought a bow off eBay. I bought a Hoyt and um, just off some old man that whatever, just getting rid of his stuff sitting around. Yeah. And I started shooting squirrels with my bow and I almost shot a coyote one time calling him in and you know i had permission on like six thousand acres in the east bay to sh just basically manage varmints you know and so um that was super fun but i never had like gone out and actually bow hunted big game and um that didn't really come till the last like five six years oh really you know yeah so i'm, I'm a very green bow hunter yeah and uh learning so much every year new to archery oh yeah big time you know so you know i've only uh only killed a handful of animals with my bow so before you know, we dive squirrels. down that yeah. you know like getting to grow up and go on these duck hunts with your dad mm -hmm. and you guys had your family dog was that was your bonding time that was oh, your yeah. father-son time that was when you guys got to go and you're going to go do cool stuff with dad. Yep. What was that like for you? 
being raised in that sort of environment? Man, I mean, it, I, don't, I feel like I couldn't ask for anything more. I mean, I'm not, you know, it'd be stupid of me to be, say, like, yeah, me and my dad are just nothing but love. And, you know, we, you know, you, it, it, anyone grinds with their parents, you know, for and like sure, at points you, you, uh, it's part I mean, of the organic growth right, of life. You know, we and even as I got a little older and cockier and thought I knew what I was doing, I would, I, you know, say smart ass things to him in the field that thinking, I know what we're doing hunting and that kind of thing. And, but man, I got like nothing but thanks for my dad, like getting me out in the field and bringing me up in this world of the outdoors and really learning just to appreciate it and like and really showing me the difference of the different types of hunters out there you know like there's these kind of guys that think it's all about them and they and everyone is at their expense you know or um you know there to just revolve around their plans or like my dad has always been you know hunting public public land my dad has always been like very uh, courteous to just talk to people going to the same spot like hey you guys want to hunt here like is it cool if we hunt over here we don't want to ruin your hunt just being brought up around that like I think really set a just a different tone of w how we can all enjoy the outdoors you know mm -hmm. that no one person owns this public land you know and um, we're all here sharing it enjoying it and we want to see other people have a good time as well yeah and uh, I mean and over the, I mean, I, I hunt the the public refuges a lot for waterfowl throughout California, and it's amazing to see. And you know, it just comes from the way they were brought up. You know how aggressive. I, I get it. Being aggressive is I'm aggressive too, but at the same time, I mean, we got to realize we're all on the same team. You know, out there hunting, we all want to have a good time. We all want to have a good shoot, and it's it's it feels good when you can be a part of someone's success even oh, yeah. if you don't have a great shoot you yeah. know it's like um because it just it's, it's ridiculous to be fighting with one another over 150 yards 200 yards you know and that's kind of how it rolls a lot of times in a public refuge you know it's just it can get tight in the blinds it gets yeah, tight it can get really tight you know yeah. um and but I don't know, I've, I've kind of grown to love the rat race and the, you know, the, the chaos and pulling into Mendota and there's Christmas trees burning and people blowing their duck calls and it's just gnarly and you're like, man, these are, this is my people, like, I love it. Like, it's, you know, I always say it, I don't, you know, don't get me wrong, I kind of love getting invited to public or private places that are like cush and it's going to be a great hunt no matter and what time of day yeah, no matter like what the no weather pressure, is yeah. like we're making eggs and bacon in the morning before we go hunting like that's cool but i i think there's a special place in my heart for sleeping in my truck and waking up in the chaos and going and all you doing is stressing the whole time hoping i can get that spot that i have in mind and you know like anyway my dad i think he i owe him this passion for hunting mm -hmm. you know and I'm extremely thankful, you know, and and now I'm starting to see, my dad just turned 69, so now I'm starting to see, as he gets older, like, less and less able to, you know, he's told me numerous times now, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much good with killing ducks, like, I just want to spend time with you, you know, and it's, so I really, you know, I'm just really trying to change my focus to, man, I want to really enjoy these last hunts, whatever, however many hunts I have with my dad you know of, in a way saying thanks to him and you know doing hunts i know he can do versus stuff that you know if i want to go deeper and like he's most likely not going to go bow hunting with me <laughs> because he's not going to get deep with me and you know and that's fine you know but um 
because now I got a three-year-old. I'm in the same boat. Like I'm hoping to get my son out on his first duck hunt. You know, something chill and just fun this fall, um, this winter with him. And yeah, man, we just I'm just like it's all kind of full circle at this point. You know, like my dad got me out when I was three, and I now I got the chance to hopefully impart some some really great values in my boy. You know, to love it and cherish it and and do what he can to to make it good for everyone, you know, not just him. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So fast forward, you're five years into your archery career, five, six years yeah, into five your archery Yeah, five or six, career. yep. So what has that been like for you? Or better yet, how did the passion switch into archery? What yeah. brought you to being like, wow, this yeah. is the bee's knees. I think it, it's really, I owe it to the brands I've gotten to work for. You know, like, uh, it was around 2012 that I started deciding to take the business that I started in college called Kana. Um, we you know, started that in 2004, partnered with a, with a dude in 2008. Uh, and we, I think it was four years later, you know, as a creative, you're just kind of like, all right, what else can I do? You know, and obviously growing up in the world of hunting, you know, I started thinking, yeah, it'd be rad to do some work in the outdoor industry and seeing what was out there at the time. Because it just it wasn't a lot that made me say, wow, that's amazing. There were a few people doing cool stuff out there, few brands that were like pushing the creative uh, limits, you know, on what that was different than just outdoor television. Well, you know? I feel like too, and at that time, realistically, you're looking at like, Bass Pro catalog, right? Cabela's catalog, yeah. And then you're looking at individual photographs that people have taken on their own hunts from, you know, say Eastman's yeah. or uh -huh. Outdoor or uh -huh. something like that. Right. Right. So yeah. I feel like the growth in or raising the bar and pushing content further has happened you know, predominantly in the last five, six years in the absolutely. industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was just, I feel like there's, there was a few companies out there that, um, one being like, I think Seacat Creative was one that when I first saw some stuff being done. Seacat does amazing you know, yeah, work. Amazing, you know, and. Um, Mark's a really nice guy. Yeah, you know, and what he did, I mean, with that first uh, Elk film, um, Searching for Wes, I remember when I first saw that, I was like, this is cool like this is different you know i mean you, you got just i mean you know he's pushing it doing like let's just try something else you know and change perspective um, and so seeing that kind of stuff like it kind of get made me realize that you know the industry is ripe for more of this you know it's not to say that any one person's style is going to be the style it's subjective it's art you know mm -hmm. what someone might think I do is great another person's like it's not for me and I hear that get those comments you know every once in a while and it's, that's fine like I don't I don't care like if the, I got some advice years ago that uh, stuck with me and a guy a local photographer here who does incredible work um, he's just like do what do what you want to do and make that like the main thing you do and do it right and do it, it good. as long as people will as long as your family's good mama's happy paying the bills like make sure you're doing what you want to do and like we were just talking earlier you know before we started this it's like sometimes you got to take on jobs that kind of fill out the budget and say this is going to keep the 
company going. Not everything I work on is absolutely inspiring. It can and, be epic and incredible. Craziness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you can curate your social media feed to look like Whatever you're living you want the absolute to. dream. Yeah. Like that's easy to do, but. You know, um, if I'm shooting, like, I mean, I think it was really funny. I think it was a few years ago. I was doing the waiter launch film mm-hmm. for Sitka, and I was home working on something else, and somebody from Sitka texted me and was like, hey, I need this photo and this high rate, whatever. What are you doing right now? And I was like, well, I'm actually working on a piece. I'm at a library filming a cat for the local uh, Humane Society doing a film and I just got you know so much great for that it was, you know, it was hilarious but I mean if I'm totally honest man not everything I'm doing is like I'm gonna blow your mind yeah but you know every once in a while but man, that blew someone's s- mind right that sweet old lady in the bookstore loved that video that's yeah, for sure for but sure. you know it's like I, I don't care man if this is end of the day it's like any work someone's like wants to pay me to do like I'm thankful for that work you know but I do obviously love the opportunities I get to get out in the in the woods in the back country yeah. and really um, get to just push it creatively I mean I think filming in the outdoors especially filming fo- photography as well but it pushes your gear it pushes you physically mentally you're usually exhausted you're usually cold you're filming in the hardest environments and to pull off films I think in those kind of places really shows like what someone how devoted someone might be to telling the story. Not to mention know? if it's like a later season cold hunt. Right. I mean, yeah. let's talk about excessive battery weight. Oh, man, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Got to yeah. keep those cameras rolling, yeah, man. I mean, and without batteries, you know, and the here cold guys being just like, oh, my pack them, is so heavy with this or that. You know, guys just hunting. Yeah. And I'm like, pick up my pack, dude. Yeah. Like, you know, and I got several lenses. And yeah, my, I mean, my, my lens bag, my camera uh, bag itself is like. Yeah, it's brutal. It's you heavy, might as well dude. be packing meat the whole time. Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, so, so to answer your question, long story short, when I got my first opportunity, I've been doing a bunch of waterfowl films and stuff for Sika Gear and Yeti, and, and uh, we did Dr. Duck for Yeti and Sika Gear years ago. Like, that was super fun and got f- super fun story, and, and um, you know, started slowly but surely. You do one job at a time and get to know a company, they get to know you. And then uh, there was a film called Tendoys that we did, and uh, we were shooting, it's a sheep film for Sika, and it was about, I don't know if you remember. Um, over in the, the Tendoys Mountains in southwest Montana, there was a, a sheep, a herd of sheep. They needed, they had. They a, were getting uh, rid of. Yeah, unlimited right. tags. I right. remember that. And I'm not really sure where it's at at this point. I know they had the unlimited tags for a few seasons in a row. Yeah. Um, I'm not really. I haven't really followed up with where it's at at the moment. But um, so we got in there, and there were just people everywhere. Man, it was like one of these like. How am I gonna tell this story? It's, it's like public land freaking, deer hunting for sheep. Yeah, exactly. And like there's just people everywhere trying yeah. to and we met some guy from Colorado or on the mountain, like he was a character in himself. I was like, Man, I need to film on you, you're just crazy. And, but he's he was awesome, you know, and and it, it's two hours later we bumped into him, he's like, I shot a sheep. Like, oh my gosh, like and then you're like, Why couldn't have been us, man? We're making a film. <laughs> well, the next day, man, we ended up spotting two rams and this dude tony uh from montana um 50 yard shot right to the boilermaker man and uh, really? we had two angles and it was like blew my mind i was just so this is I th- i'm probably the first like real bow hunt 
I had like really bit my teeth into. I mean, there's been some local stuff where it's like. I mean, to go from you know, like not really bow hunting to bow hunting sheep. Yeah. In the tendoys, like. Uh-huh. It that's was, some serious yeah, it was shit. Real, dude. It was a real deal. Yeah. That's a that's a leap right there. Uh-huh. From and, like. And I'm wearing like, you know, my, a lot of guys do it. You're I guess. driving a Pinto, and then you got in a NASCAR. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, we. It was everything, man. It was just like we got snow that trip, and it was like September, but you know, you never know in September. Especially in Montana. Man. Right. We had snow and rain and insane wind and insane fog, and then I, I remember getting about, I think the guy ranged it like 18 yards from a nice mule deer, and he just didn't see me, and I just worked in, and I was filming him, and that was probably the first real stock, you know, with my camera that I'd ever gotten, and, uh, and I remember walking away from that just like, holy shit, like... I could have shot that buck, you know, if I was bow hunting. And, you know, then the next day we're just feeling defeated. You know, several days in, I think it was like day four or five, we ended up spotting these two rams and the guys put a stock on them. I um, mean, you can watch the film. It's it's called Tendoys. I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube. But and it's a Sitka film? A Sitka film, I think. Yeah, it is Sitka film. Um, but I'm not sure Sitka has it. Anyway, I should look and uh, put up if it's not up there but it it was great man like really was an honor to get to tell that story and got me connected a little bit with Wild Sheep Foundation we showed it at one of their banquets you know in Reno and like that was rad and just got the you you know gotten to meet more and more bow hunters and kind of getting to know like this community of these people that are absolutely passionate about so for me being a duck hunter my whole life like I love shooting ducks I still love it it's my first love but getting to pick up a bow and be like, after coming off that mountain thinking, man, I could do this, you know? And like, <laughs> I wanna try, I wanna try to bow hunt. So we started hunting Big Sur a lot. Yeah. And uh, that kicked our ass quite a bit. And yeah, Big Sur still ruthless. has. Yeah, it's, it's funny super how. Steep and, yeah, loud. Well, <laughs> it's funny how A Zone in California is, in my opinion, it's, it's one of the roughest hunts it's in hard, Western man. hunting. Yeah, it's really in hard. My, you know, I mean, in my opinion, mm-hmm. and I've hunted a lot of Western spots. Yep. You know, like yep. A zone will fucking hand anybody their ass. Yeah. No matter how wonderful and great of a hunter that they think that yep. they are. Something about I think that the combination of everything's extremely dry, really loud, all the oak, you know, the coastal live oaks around here, just there's leaves are everywhere. Stocking is extremely hard. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of bucks. In California and there's a lot of hunters so it's just like this perfect storm of like it's probably gonna suck you know yeah and you're probably just gonna go hiking and you know hiking that, even that hiking is you know 2,000 feet straight up within a mile man you're just like all of a sudden you're on top of the not world not only that it's like 96 degrees out uh-huh yeah so it's you know we love it because it's home it's California it's like this is this is our home state and we're always gonna love it but it you know is uh I still haven't had a, a chance to shoot at a, a blacktail, you know, um, locally. So I got my first buck up in in Kodiak, Alaska, actually, with my bow, and that was a whole nother adventure. Day seven, stereotypical, you know. Yeah. The last day, Pushing got it, it done. Yeah. And, uh, it that was, was like me this year, man. Day eleven, dude. Oh, morning. Wow. Day eleven, leaving afternoon. Day eleven. Oh. Yeah. Wow, day yeah. eleven. Yeah, you're you're pretty much your brain is is hamburger by the host. Yeah, <laughs> but it. I don't know, man. That day seven Kodiak, you said. Yeah, day seven up there Kodiak. You know, uh, everyone had pretty much shot at least a couple deer 
and you know friends were like dude just grab this rifle let's go smoke one you want to go home with something da, 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 da. you know I'm you like, don't want to leave here like, empty-handed dude i just i came here to do it with my bow you know like i want really just want to do it this way or not do it at all you know and then persistent day seven man. man this buck was raking felt like i was elk hunting you know he's raking and um i he just was he was deep in the rut and uh, got in close and I think it was like 15, 20 yards. Like it was right there. Really? And just smoked him. Yeah, put it, put it right there. And I remember just something Corey uh, Jacobson said, you know, he's, he's like, I just shoot until they're down, you know, just keep putting it in. I'm like, I don't question yeah, it. Yeah. And so I remember just uh, smoking the buck. I'm pretty sure I shot him in the heart. And it was immediate, a lot of blood. And as this buck was running down the hill, I'm like, shot him again. <laughs> oh, really? And it just was like so caught up in the moment, yeah. just thinking like, Put another one I, in him. I have to kill this buck. Like, you know, like. Well, I'm, day seven, and it's yeah. your first archery buck. Yeah. I'm sure the wheels in Joel, your head are just like. My good friend Joel, who, you know, owns the bow shop here in town, uh, Central Coast Archery, he's like, You got him, you got him, stop. You know, <laughs> you know let it go. And uh, when Dad, I just was like overcome with thanks for that buck, you know. And an amazing place to kill a first deer, you know, with this big bay, and um, you know, it was it was awesome, man. Yeah, brown bears everywhere, and you know, that was insane. And then, so, you know, and then the last elk, I think, is what when I first got the chance to film the linguist, you know, with Corey and uh, his guys, and then kind of get to know some of these legends, you know. Um, uh, Rocky Jacobson, Will Primos, Wayne Carlton, and Larry D. Jones. We were like kind of our four pioneers that we captured. It's like, I know there's more people than that. You know, I know the Eastmans have like been very influential. I know Dwight Shue. I mean, he's extremely influential. There, there's more than just those four. But These are just, the people you had immediate contact right, with. Right. These are the people that we focused on and said, let's, yeah. let's include them well, into see, that, this story. I'm going to, I'm going to go on a tangent really quick. Yeah. It's so important that people understand that everybody can have different people in their lives that influence them. It doesn't have 100%. to be specific. These people are the only people or this person is the only person. There's so many amazing hunters mm -hmm. across mm -hmm. from the eastern seaboard to the western seaboard, whether it's whitetail, mule deer, you know, elk whatever yep. species, rams, right. you know, anything, it doesn't matter. Right. You know, so in my opinion, and I'm sure you'll agree with this, yeah. is whoever somebody's person who influences them, like, that's awesome. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be one person or the other. Right. Right? Right. And I feel like that kind of gets lost in translation a little uh, bit. Absolutely. Where, or where so people expect that it, it can only be these people that are telling me this thing that makes this sense hunting this animal. Right. And and then there's these weird these weird worlds of social media where you'll get like one person that uh, that's their world, you know, if it's an Instagram or if it's Facebook and if they don't see that person show up there, then in their mind they're like, This isn't fair and or uh, why why are we talking about this person what about this person and it's like dude we we're all just living in these little bubbles you know and like the world of hunting and legacy and pioneers is yeah. so much bigger than these stupid little camps yeah um that we can get distracted by really all day you know and, and being a being a new bow hunter myself i mean i kind of came at it as not knowing anything about elk when i filmed the linguist i mean i was uh when we were bidding on the job 
you know, basically like a line that I did know what they were talking about. You know, they're like mentioned something about some elk whistle. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those those worked great back in the day. You know, whatever. I mean, I was just excited for the project and like, uh, but man, I remember when we stepped into the woods on that first hunt um, to capture that film. It was in Wyoming and. I, I had all of a sudden there were some bulls in front of us and Corey is going running and one guy's going this way <laughs> and I had no idea what was going on and my assistant a uh, good friend of mine named Mather he was telling me how this should go down you know he's like hey, hey you need to get here and then you could tell right after that Corey was extremely patient and was just like alright man this is where you need to stand if we're going to get this type of shot and then it started to like okay I'm starting to get how this works yeah and um, like a candid b-roll kind of stuff yeah and, and like you know I could do my creative thing but it was pretty important I, I learned really fast how to understand how they were hunting these elk well the, the language the of the hunt what's happening and, what's happening yeah. in the field and it, where as a bystander you kind of need to be in order right. for this to be a successful stock yep and it was I mean, it blew, was blowing my mind, too, just in the fact of, like, how these guys hunt these elk. I mean, they're stirring. It felt like these, I had never seen an elk, uh, maybe apart from, like, Yellowstone or something like that, but never seen an elk in a while on a hunt, you know, hunting elk. This is my first elk hunt when we were there. And, man, when I saw that first elk come through the woods, like, it felt like this majestic beast just appeared out of nowhere. Yeah. And was just bugling and screaming and wanting to come fight us. So I was like, holy shit, this Girl, is the coolest is happening right way now. to hunt an animal. Yeah. I mean, you're never going to get that with a deer. I mean, maybe you can rattle some in or, you know, I hear people call deer too. On a late I mean, season that happens. Hunt or yeah. something like that. But uh, this is just the next level, you know, and just the, the majesticness of this animal too is just, wow, this is something. So I remember we did that whole project it was it was a gigantic honor i got to meet so many people i got to spend a month with Corey, like just seeing him you know he gave me the login you know it's very gracious of him you know to try out his course you know up 101 and when i got was working through it i was like oh yeah i remember this i remember that you know i remember when he did this and i was like man i feel it made me even more thankful for like wow i got to like witness these things firsthand yeah by the man himself and and, and it's cool too over the last three years like it's rad kind of seeing the different ways and hearing like that people hunt elk they're like wow Corey is a way and what he's pushing and I know you know Corey didn't invent bugling obviously that's what the whole movie of uh, the linguist was about you know yeah but it um, you know he's a dude that really pushes for it and it's exciting and and then it's rad to hear about other guys that like target that giant bull throughout the summer and get in there and they know where that bull's gonna live and they make that stock happen. It's like, wow, it's polar opposite ways to hunt these animals. Yeah. And so I feel like I'm still just kind of in the middle of like just learning about this, uh, how many reaches this, you it's know. It's endless. Just an elk. I yeah. mean, how many ways you can do this and be successful and have a great time. And so I don't know, I feel I'm extremely green and learning and just, yet you've been hunting your entire life yeah how it, cool is that it, it's amazing man like it just shows goes to show you like how people truly spend a lifetime just being fascinated by hunting and and amazed by animals and the way they behave and trying to learn how to how to take them out of the field and harvest them and and uh it's just uh, i don't know man it's 
I, it's weird because I always thought like, yeah, this every year duck opening duck season, you know, set third week of October. And this is how it rolls. That's fun, you know. And I, I still have tons of duck hunting friends that text me and they're like, hey, I'm stoked for the opener. And I'm like, dude, my brain is like thick and elk right now. Like, don't <laughs> don't even talk to me until <laughs> this is done, you know. So I get it. You know, and I don't know. I always love duck hunting, but it's it's a way different beast. It's way more. It's not more fun. It's just. A, it's fun and it's more of like a chill just have a good time in the field where when I'm bow hunting I feel like I feel like I'm tapping into some primal stuff that just goes deep spirit you know, I don't know warrior. like being especially when you're solo hunting like yeah. I, I love hunting with friends but last year I solo hunted out for about five days and mm -hmm. god it was just so good I think for my soul and for just thinking about life and I don't know it was just it's cleansing man it was good yeah I don't I've know. been on I think the, everything's quiet you know you go out to yeah. camp it's quiet and the woods is quiet unless there's a big bull bugle in front of you you know it's just I, I don't know it's just there's something about that yeah you know the camaraderie with buddies in the field is great like mm -hmm. you make the best friends hunting because you're sharing in one of the greatest challenges together but um, being being alone too in the backcountry was pretty phenomenal. Well, being alone and learning how to be alone with yourself, mm -hmm. how important is that? Yep. You know what I mean? And, and one thing that hunting has taught me is how to be comfortable being by myself. Mm -hmm. You know, no one else around, just me and my thoughts and whatever's going on in my head. And being able to quiet that noise out mm. and focus on the task at hand, obviously, which is notching a tag. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it's, there's so much to be said, I think, for the ability to be able to solo hunt. Yeah. For prolonged periods of time. Yep. Yep. Yeah, there was a dude we, we met, we were hunting Wyoming this year, and uh, we met him at this, back at this trailhead, and he he's coming out on horses. And uh, he was telling the guys how all summer he stashes whiskey and cigs in the, the backcountry. <laughs> and then he just goes in for like at least a few weeks at a time. And he has this stash. He's already got he's stash there. boxes yeah. like all over the yeah, place. I, yeah. I mean, who knows where the hell he's going. But it's just like, I don't know. Like there's a dude, obviously, maybe he's a little extreme. Hardened that, cowboy right Yeah, there, yeah, but he, what that's that what he looks forward to. That's here. Being in the being in the woods, yeah. being deep, with surplus his horses the and, fuck out. Yeah, yeah, and so he goes in, and um, yeah, I think he was deer hunting. But anyway, it's, it's there's just so many. I think I owe all this new journey of, of bow hunting to all the films. You know, there's definitely friends that have encouraged me, but it's really these people that I've been filming, like Corey Jacobson, Larry D. Jones. I mean, I feel extremely honored to get to spend time with you know some of the most devoted people you know out there to the sport yeah and advocates for the sport i mean i didn't i had not seen you know larry's film elk fever until we filmed the linguist you know and they were saying, telling me about this film that he did called elk fever back in the 80s and the like, og yeah i was like wow that sounds rad the 80s elk film you know and i watched it and i'm like this is gold so before we well so when you watched it was it the first one where they're going through describing an elk in the field 
all they mention when they're showing a diagram or a video footage of a bull mm -hmm. is how much meat comes off that animal. Yeah. Was it the first one? I think it's the first one, yeah. And like and you included that if I if I'm not mistaken in Elk Fever Three when uh, you guys like in we the We had in some the dialogue with intro. Larry talking about you know, where he was going through some old slides. Yeah. And uh, if you remember that scene. And, and he's like, a bull, a, a mature bull weigh, you uh -huh. know, it was like 400 pounds of meat. Yeah. Or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Not a mention of the antlers. Yeah. No inches. Yeah. No, you know, yeah. raghorn, brow tine, exactly. whatever. Like. You knew that when Larry looked at that animal, when I remember sitting there and I, I thought he was going to say something else when he was looking at this big bull. He's like, this is a beautiful, mature elk. This elk is probably six, seven hundred pounds. And I thought immediately, I was like, he was going to say 320, 330 bull or On whatever. inches. Yeah, he yeah. had to measure these antlers. And, that's and he's just, talking about meat coming off the yeah, bone. Yeah, so he's, he's looking like at this animal it. saying, that, look at all that delicious meat. Yeah. You know, and I think... And it's he's so like, back then there's no fucking social media no. push to yeah. only talk about being a meat hunter or a horn hunter right. or an antler hunter right. or an inches or Can't whatever. Eat the horns. Like, yeah, no. dude, he, and it's, it's so amazing when I saw that, uh, when we watched, when we watched the film and I saw that part, that segment, I was like, yeah. Oh my God, this yeah. is so awesome. Yeah. Like it was genuinely pure, where exactly. it was at. It was just pure motive to, take take some meat out the mountain yeah whether a big bull steps out or and it a wasn't about fucking like out. let's do organic meat or let's do this or let's right. do i mean yeah it was but like it wasn't put in any of right. the connotations that we have to put on it or that uh -huh. we choose that we choose to put on it today right you know right. just like he was so hyped on the meat yep yeah, I mean, it's just all, like, there's so many different, like, uh, uh, as hunters, I mean, there's so many reasons, like, I agree with everybody, like, yes, organic meat, I'm all about that, you know, like, it's really nice to be invested in the entire process of knowing where your food comes from, but vegans are that way too, man, they are invested in where their meat, or food, proteins are coming yeah, from, yeah. like, so you can't say that our investment is more important than theirs, you know, um, but I will say that I have vegan friends in town here that uh, appreciate and are about the way that I'm you know, hunt and take yeah. my meat because the, their main gripe is the mistreatment of animals and stuff. So anyway, I'll just say there's just a lot of these different views, but I love that Larry was, he's not like <laughs> distracted, I guess is the word, by all the different reasons to justify his hunting. Yeah. He's like, I just love to eat this meat. And like, even we were in this little pop-up camper that he bought new in like the seventies, you know, like I have an old seventies pop-up camper too, but he was like, he bought his new off the block. And I was like, how much you pay for this thing? He's like, oh, about three, four grand. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. So this was like a badass camper back in the day. Back in the anyway, day, he's for sure. grilling some elk burgers while we're back at his camper. And he's like, you don't even need any fat. They're, they're just good the way they are. You don't even put anything, a little salt and, salt and pepper. And he's cutting up tomatoes from his garden. And, he, you know, it's just he's just doing it because he loves this stuff. He's not like, this is the only meat I eat. I only eat organic elk. You know what I mean? You know? elk yeah. yeah. It's like he he's just doing it. It's just a pure joy of, like, the hunt and the animals. I mean, even the love and the some of the bulls the that, like, when I was filming The Linguist, I remember this moment with Corey 
I was I was set up. We were in a bunch of elk, and all of a sudden I could see this bull starting to come through the window. And Corey is set up. He goes to full draw. I'm like, holy shit, here it is. It's happening. I'm over the shoulder. I'm shooting in 120 frames, spraying red footage at this elk, you know, and here comes this bull. And I have no concept of what a big bull is or a small bull. And he's holding full draw. And here it goes, walking through the opening. And I'm waiting for that arrow to just hunt, punch this thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And he lets off, and he looks back and smiles at me. And I'm like, what are you what doing? Are you? Like, I'm rolling. Like, we've come, you know. And he just It doesn't like, get better than that. Uh, and then all to say it was a pretty young, smaller bull, you know, and he, he was confident. Um, and this is a guy who their whole team, you know, they're not true. They're not trying to shoot giant bulls. I mean, I watched them shoot smaller bulls, mm-hmm. and even the bull I think that Corey shot in that film was not <coughs> a monster. But he's just what Corey was after is the engagement and the battle, the fight, and that's what he wants with an elk, you know. So when he gets that. He he could care less what comes out, you know. And I saw in Elk Fever, you know, in the '80s. Like, I think uh, Larry's son, Steve, shot a couple of beautiful elk, a big Roosevelt, a big, you know, Rocky Mountain elk. Uh, but then they also shot a bunch of small, funky-looking, you know, raghorn, deformity ones. Like, you know, because they're just stoked on whatever presents themselves, you know? Yeah. And uh, I hear from dudes all the time. I mean, I'm, I don't think I have the ability to really gauge the size of an elk off a of bugle, but you, I do hear dudes talk about how... You may hear a bugle that uh, that's just a, a tiny little bull, you know, come out and it's a big ass bull, you know, and yeah. you just don't know. That's part of the excitement. You don't yeah. know what's gonna come out and step out and give you a give you a shot. And uh, um, yeah. Uh, so anyway, it's through seeing like what Larry did with film back in the day, like gave me like, wow, this is this guy has been like devoted to capturing this adventure from the eighties. And um, so it was fun. We worked in some of his footage and his story as a pioneer and making calls and even documenting elk hunting, excuse me, and, uh, you know, into the linguist. And then that's kind of how I kind of got to know Larry. We stayed in touch. And um, we we kind of got this opportunity where, where we just jokingly back here in town, me and, and the team were like, we saw that there was an elk fever and then there's elk fever too. And uh, and we're like, why is there no Oak Fever three? This kind of blows my mind that you you got to finish the trilogy, man. Like, yeah. You know, it's like there's you can't just have two. And I asked Larry, I was like, why didn't you ever do three? He's like, oh, I don't know, just got busy with other films, you know, goat films or you know whatever caribou. I mean, he's just hunting everything at this point. Those films are what kind of like got him out there and got Dwight out there as a writer and really put them on the map as guys that were hunting public land, they were getting it done, and they were getting deep. I mean, they were taking their llamas in and, you know, just their sweet 80s style. And it was just, I don't know, man. And Larry obviously shooting a a recurve his whole life. And, you know, like, that was extremely inspiring. I think it really related to the majority of hunters, you know. Um, I love looking at big bulls and you're like man that epic or somebody has like an insane once of a lifetime tag but it's cool when you get to kind of see eye to eye with people that are like 
just general tags, in the same thing you're in. They're no better than you are. I mean, I think that's what, um, you know, when I, last season I experienced it for the first time duck hunting, you know, more and more people were stopping me and saying, oh, I've seen, I know who you are, I've seen your films, you know, <laughs> at like Mendota or something, yeah. you know, and that was like kind of blowing my mind. I was like, this is weird. You well, this know? is uncomfortable a yeah, little bit. Yeah, it was like <laughs> interesting that, but it just made me think like, you know, I really hope that I never, I never ever want someone to, just because I'm presenting it online and have somewhat of a platform that I'm any different or have any different values than or the goals. Next guy than the guy that's parked right in front of me at the, in the sweat line at Mendota, yeah. you know? It's like, I'm just here because I love it too. Yeah. And just because I've been given this gift to film and present it, yeah. doesn't mean it's I'm any more, you know, professional. Or a better hunter. Or better, yeah. you know, like. Um, Absolutely. And that's like, I don't know, that's, it's the easy, it's super easy to get like, oh wow, the popularity and the, wow, everybody thinks I'm great. Like maybe I'm a, you know, whatever. The way it's a slippery slope of like losing touch with the fact that you're just like everyone else, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like you just love it like everyone else, and I don't ever want to lose that. And trying to keep the tradition alive. Yeah. Right. And I think that is a better message for the non-hunters too, especially you know how it is. We live in California. I mean, there's a lot of hunters here. Two hundred seventy thousand. Yeah. But there's a lot even there's a lot more of a population than two hundred seventy thousand. Yeah. yeah, and I think a lot of people, thanks to folks like Rogan and advocates nowadays that are hunting, that relate to the larger mass. The, the sport is so lucky that we have somebody like Joe Rogan mm-hmm. on our side, um, spreading a positive message. Yeah of what can be done to such an enormous platform of people. Absolutely. It's so important because in California, and, and this is just my opinion, we have we as hunters have kind of lost our way in the sense of like, we have no representation. We have, let me rephrase that, we have limited representation Mm -hmm. when it comes to our legislative body or Mm -hmm. when it comes to regulations and things that are being put out there and also at the same time we as hunters have kind of just forfeit any foothold that we had we just kind of threw up our hands and our biggest justification is that this is California and we're going to lose it anyways Mm -hmm. and we're not out there trying to make a difference and we're not out there we are now I should say we are now, but we haven't been accountable for mm-hmm. 20 years mm-hmm. in being good represent- representatives of our sport. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? We've been bitter, pissed off dudes, yeah, yeah. you know, complaining that the state has done us wrong right. instead of trying to change our perception and change that outlook mm-hmm. um, to something more positive and more beneficial of yeah. how can we incorporate this into public education how can we incorporate wildlife conservation and management into better channels mm-hmm. to better represent hunters and yeah. who we are as people absolutely you know, sorry for the rant no yeah I, 100% I mean I think that's the kind of the cool opportunity we have here in California is like so many non-hunters but people like you know 
the culture is a little bit more primed to being open to like with the surge of people asking where is my food coming from you know i don't want to support slaughterhouse but i still want to eat meat right right and you know and people even people that won't eat meat anymore they are still concerned about these issues like they're they're still there like the mistreatment of animals and these this the 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 chemicals that just get dumped into these animals just and you brought up a a good point or you talked a little bit about it and kind of went around it. Was you have a bunch of vegan friends that kind uh-huh. of support you and what you're doing yeah. as far as your ethical take of animals and, right. and how you're treating animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's my direct experience living in California with a lot of vegans that I know. Do I get hate mail? Of course, everybody does. You're always going to deal yeah. with some sort of like mm-hmm. bipolar, psychotic person yeah. no matter where you're going. But. Uh-huh. For the most part, a lot of vegans have embraced me and been super friendly and kind to me, being from the Bay Area. Yeah. And and understanding and and loving and tolerant mm-hmm. of what I choose to do in my pursuit of right. happiness. Right. You know? Yeah, and I think it's it's cool that there's I don't think it helps at all to beat up on a vegan or, or not just a vegan, just anyone who has a gripe against hunting. It doesn't help when people gang up on that person online mm-hmm. and put them down and shove it in their face why they're wrong. Because a lot of times it's just it's lack of education, lack of understanding. 99% you know? of the just time. Just like they just need to be helped along a little yeah. bit. They, Here's they the hand, didn't grow man. Up with, Take my hand, let me right? help you. They didn't grow up with these people like explaining why we do what we do and why we enjoy it, why mm-hmm. it's fun. Like I don't feel obligated to go hunt. I do it because I love it, mm-hmm. but there's these benefits of like, wow, this actually is going to be helpful to my family and my lifestyle. Um, there's endless reasons why why I'm out in the field and spending all this time and well, money. For but, you, for example, when you see a you know a painting of a of a dog with a duck in its mouth and yeah. a shotgun leaning up against a post, yeah, you're instantly probably back in the blind with your dad. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Those are those are always going to have powerful, nostalgic feel. You know, whether you that. instantly are thinking about that or it, that thought never even crosses your right, mind. Right. Somewhere inside of you, in the fabric and the moral fabric of your existence. Yeah. You know, whether you realize it or not, you're feeling that. Yep. You know. Absolutely. So I don't know. It's just. It's cool, you know, in the in the the role that I get to play, you know, with Kana focusing a lot of my energy on the outdoor industry and telling stories and working with brands you know to that empower some of these stories you know um that's i I feel like i got a a pretty special medium to share kind of what present hunting in a certain light you know in a certain style you know i've gotten to do that with so many films up to this point it's um yeah, it's been a huge honor, you know, a huge gift, and and I like I owe my own personal growth in hunting, especially as a bow hunter, to these projects I've filmed. Um, and then I think it's even now we're working on this this Hunt Forty One. I think you may have seen some of that. You know, um, that project is a whole new thing. I'm diving back into a lot of like my past, you know, Roots. just like American waterfowl. Yeah. Like I want to learn what the United States waterfowl community looks like. And so we're painting pictures one state at a time, mm-hmm. you know, telling these stories. And so last year we filmed four states. We did um, uh, Utah, California, uh, Massachusetts, and New Jersey. So those, you know, 
but it's going to take us a long time and we're going to tell them slowly but surely and yeah um so that's been a whole new fun thing to kind of like get back to some of this like just let's just tell it as it is with the everyday hunter that people relate to and um you know nothing against guides but we're just keeping it all just people that we're going joining up with people that um are just doing it on their own and and um diy yeah. public land yeah yeah guys. totally i mean it's it's uh and I, i've learned too over the years like some states like you know you get really caught up in the public land thing but some states guys pretty much have to hunt private land if that's paying for a lease or getting permission um that's, because that's there is common. no public like, we're not used to that in california it's very in, hard in the west us. right in the west you know, predominantly all Western. Yeah, I mean, states like Texas, I mean, there's very, very, very few public land spots to hunt. So I learned a lot of guys down there, like they kind of forced to hunt private. So it kind of changes your perspective a little bit of like not to demonize private land, mm-hmm. you know, especially maybe I'm not as well educated on the whole thing, but it it does seem like hunters can get very, can become very camped up in like just public land. I'm a public land owner. That's great. I'm. I am too. I'm with you. But <laughs> the if we're talking about elk or deer or whatever or sheep, you know, I'm about them first and foremost. Yeah. If they choose to live on the private or if they live on the public, like I'm for them. I'm gonna chase place, them wherever, wherever they're at. they are. <laughs> you know, I'm for them. Yeah, in either place. And so we want to see private land enhanced as well as public land enhanced. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, there's there's plenty of public for us to hunt so I don't want to get too I think it's just easy to kind of demonize and I know there's probably case scenarios where a private land is not helping a certain species you know a certain instance you know mm-hmm. of like whatever that might be and you know I, but feel, I, just, I feel like some guys for public to private land some guys feel like if you're hunting on public land in the west it's a more difficult task than if you're hunting low-pressured animals on private land. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah, it's so I don't know. Yeah, it's just want to hunt for you when we're trying to just really take in like make the goal American waterfowl. Yeah. Wherever those ducks want to live and migrate to, and and we can get after them. Um, we're not too concerned with public or private, um, but we want to have a, like a nice, well-balanced diet for each state yeah of all the different places you know when we did california i was kind of hosting that whole trip being this is my my home this and a lot stopping of stopping so the delta we hunted mendota at a refuge we hunted with a good friend of mine on his private place in the sutter basin how and, beautiful is that uh, it was epic man and just full the skies of, in the mornings there oh just god insane. yeah I don't know what it is, why Northern California seems to have the most Cal Waterfowl, Cal Water, Cal Waterfowl Association, man. Yeah. I yeah. think CWA is mm-hmm. the largest contributor to why we have such a tremendous waterfowl yep. flyway. Yeah. Yeah, awesome guys, you know, too, that it just, you know, it just all comes to that passion, man. We're all sharing together and everyone's doing their part, playing their role and, you know... Um, what is Hunt 41? Yeah. So um, it started a, uh, a little over a year ago. Some dudes out of Utah hit me up and they were like, hey, we want to make a film about hunting all 41 species is that of waterfowl. Thai? 
Uh, Tyler Hill. Tyler. Yep. Okay. And Tony Smith. Yeah. Yep. Two dudes out of out of Utah hit me up. They're like, we want to make a film about hunting all 41 species in one season. So there's 41 species of waterfowl. That's ducks and geese. That's it's a little bit. The number's a little bit debated, um, but predominantly <coughs> most people believe there's 41, mm-hmm. uh, give or take. Um, so that sounded like, well, for one, I'm not sure if my wife will still be around after I get back from hunting all season. 41, 41. Anyway, so. Roll, rolling from yeah, like elk. The more we chewed on the idea, like I was into it. I was like, this sounds interesting because the 41, uh, you know, I, I personally have never been like, I got to shoot all 41. Like, you know, that's that's my goal. I got to shoot all the species. I've never felt that, you know, it's in like, California. Is that the Boone and Crockett sh- number or something? No, Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but I did like the idea. What, what did intrigue me was all these different species. Like there's these whistling ducks in Florida. And then there's these, you know, ducks up in the, the north, you know, Pacific Northwest on the coast that are unique. And anyway, this, they all kind of represent different people and places. And this giant thing we call American waterfowl, um, those 41 are kind of like a map to different cultures and types and places and ways people hunt ducks. Um, so as we talked more with our sponsors and with the team, we all decided that what if we slow this thing down and just make it a series, make it a website, um, like a resource and a place for people to go and watch these films, learn a l- little bit about each state and the people that hunt there and the ducks, focus on a few ducks at each state. And so, the flyways that each state has. Right, yeah. So, you know, kind of like it. where those states fall and um, like there's just so many interesting things like different places around the country that you can hunt swans, you know, and like there's several states you can do that. So we kind of wanted to be like... Um, not like just a hunting resource for like where to go hunt, but we wanted to kind of be something that's like bringing hunters together mm-hmm. under one umbrella. If you're a waterfowler, you know, in the States, you're an American, you're part of American waterfowl. Like we're all in this together versus, uh, you know, what the way guys hunt in the timber in Arkansas and the South is much different than the way we hunt here in California even the wet, the weather that we go hunt in. Like, I want stormy, windy, cold rain. I want it to be blowing 25, Gnarly 30. conditions. If that's happening in the timber, guys don't go hunt, not because they can't handle it, but it's because the, the ducks don't land in the timber and fly in those conditions. Like, stuff that I, I never knew. Like, it... Um, it's like the opposite. Yeah, yeah. So, um, anyway, this there's so many examples like that throughout the United States that... Um, so it's just kind of a, a project to just celebrate American waterfowl. Um, you know, over the years too, I've done a lot of films for brands specifically for their new product or for their um, a story they want to tell. All great. I'm super thankful for all that work. But this is kind of a fun one where I can still work with these brands that I've worked with over the years, but then have a, our own platform. So I'm. I'm kind of directing not just what gets made, but where it goes and why, you know, why are we presenting it this way, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so it's, yeah, we're trying to just really build out this portfolio of every state, you know, has their own film. And then in the years to come, we're hoping to just continue to like put stories on this website. So it's just hunt41.com, numeral 41. Um, and yeah, we started the website, we built that out. Um, and at this point, we have two episodes out 
Um, they're on YouTube if you just search for 141. And we have a third one coming out in November who we're pretty excited about. And it'll be like East Coast hunting Eiders and Brant and you got Atlantic City in the background. Really? And we're hunting in these this frackish water that's you know it was it was quite the experience like like nothing i've ever done before and uh so that that's the whole point you know it's like we want people to watch these films and be like man i could go do that you know and a cool thing we added to the site is anyone can go on there and like create a basically like a little profile it's not like a social media platform but it's a profile so if you're a dude that's in Oregon and you're like, man, it'd be really cool to go hunt the East Coast someday. Well, there's people that are putting themselves out there to at least point you in the right direction. And some of them will even take you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just hunters helping hunters out. Yeah. There's no strings attached. No one's paying anyone anything. It's just like a matter of like, you love this too? So do I. I'd love to show you hunt. Like one of our guys on our team, has got Tony Smith out of Utah. I mean, he's renowned for taking people that want to just come and hunt on the Great Salt Lakes and hunt canvasbacks and cinnamon teal and that are never done that before like he's like come out I'll trade you a hunt Let, take me hunting in your state and I'll take you hunting in mine you know how cool just is that just like a that's just the kind of guy he is so the project kind of like was just born out of that mentality mm-hmm. of we just want to share hunting with and present it in a way so they hit me up with Kana because they knew I do a lot of films and waterfowl films especially has kind of been my bread and butter um, and then that they're like we want to make this one film well that idea kind of morphed into something bigger and um, so now it's just like yeah I'm just we're just plugging away next season we're we're hitting Texas Illinois Wisconsin Washington and uh, New York Really? So, yeah, we're going to be all over. So eventually, and it's cool because some guys will hit us up and be like, man, I'd love for you to come to my state, but it sucks here. And we're like, we don't freaking care if it sucks. Like, we just want to experience all the places. Waterfowl this, these films are not places. about, like, our success and limits and how many birds we shot. They're about the people that we get to meet. And um, like, I'm really excited. The community. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited for this next film we got coming out um, about New Jersey and Massachusetts because one dude in particular he he paints and carves his own cork decoys like they're all made out of cork and really his daughter who's like five or six like painting them with him and just like man this is a guy who's truly like his whole family is about this he's a police officer as a day job but then he just loves to hunt brant and divers on the coast and you know he's just uh, that's crazy he's like, and he's making them out of cork yeah he'll just get these cork molds and shave them down into these decoys and makes his own he just likes to hunt over his own decoys you know he'll carve a few decoys for friends here and there a few people will reach out and he'll carve them a decoy and it's, that's rad but he just does it because he loves. He it. likes to look that's at his, his passion. own cork wooden decoys on the water and so that was a pretty neat story to tell and that's coming out in November you know really? uh, a film yeah it should be uh, part of the series you know and those are the type of people you know that we're trying to just highlight like people that are just this is who they are like this is their culture it's their it's their passion um, they're not trying to push an outfitter or an agenda or a product we're just we're just telling stories you know because we're passionate about these stories we love to hunt uh, ducks and geese and we just want to be associated with people that are on the the same thing and there's thousands i mean there's thousands of people that have reached out already that 
got to check this guy out. You got to do this. And man, we're doing the it's best we be can to kind of like, it is, you know, because every story sounds great and you want to like keep telling all of them. But, you know, at some point we, you know, I'm always That's an issue so I run resources. into all the time, dude. Yeah. People send me their own stories or tell me right. stories of their buddies. And right. you need to podcast with this guy or you need to do that with oh, this yeah. guy. And I'm like, dude, there are so many stories yeah. that are epic. And it's like, yeah. how do you even try to take all of them? Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, I don't know. It's just taking one at a time that we think is worth it. And, uh, you know, it's, and we try to communicate to people like this. This has nothing to do with who we think has the, the best, best story or, or the, better the best story. hunter. Yeah. This is just about, like, this guy hit us up first and we said yes we're there it's a line man and, uh, it's a long line yeah but we want to I get keep, it even after we finish the 41 keep it going we just want to keep these stories going because I'll never get tired of hearing someone's passion or learning something new about someone that um, is doing it for the right reasons I mean we'll just as hunters we never get tired of that it's just well, part of like who we are and how how many amazing different sunrise tales are there yeah across america huh. all winter long during waterfowl season yeah. yeah you know what i mean like endless and yeah. endless and endless year in and year out right, right. always going to be amazing stories yeah i mean i definitely do get tired of the kill shots and the making it you know it's easy to get tired of the egos of course mm-hmm. and so we've made it we've really tried to build this platform on that the guys that are running this project, you know, including myself, like this is not following us on our next adventure. You know what I mean? Like this, I would hope that people over time don't really know who, who this is about, except that they know that this is about the person that's hosting us. Mm -hmm. And this is about their story. Uh, It was pretty, pretty rewarding. So a friend of mine, short, short story, like this guy named Mike Cole, He's uh, he's like my dad's age. He's in the early 70s. And he has grown up in the Sutter Basin, Yuba City, and as a rice farmer. And then he went to Davis, and he learned, you know, um, ag business there. And then he kind of expanded in learning to kind of develop habitat for waterfowl, you know. And then he had raised up a few hunting clubs and built out their habitat. Um, well... I've like done stuff with Mike off and on over the last several years, like little photo shoots for a product or this or that. Well, when I finally, he could barely open it on his phone, but when his think when his wife showed him the film we just did on California, yeah, he called me and was like, almost in tears, saying, like, "Wow, I, I had no idea like this film was going to be kind of about me, you know?" Oh, like, really? As and what my passion is you know and really focused with the film finishes like sharing just like his passion for building waterfowl habitat and just because he loves it not because anyone's paying him a bunch of money to do it like he has the resources through being a rice farmer to do this yeah um but what's it, the name of this film oh so it's just the uh, it's on 141 it's just called california it's um, really yeah yeah you can so anybody it. in california that wants to know exactly what you're talking about yep, yep. they can go to yeah, hunt41.com yep look up the california video right and it's about this guy yeah it's about this guy mike mike cole and uh we focus on a few of the regions the delta and, and uh mendota the mm-hmm. public refuge you know we hunt out there but the film kind of has a bent toward getting to know this guy and his passion um 
And I, I don't know. It was cool hearing that story, when you called man. me and told me like how honored he was. It's just like, my God, this is like these stories. I want all of them to be about the people that are hosting us. You know, there's enough celebrity bullshit out there. Like we yeah. don't need any more of that. Like yeah. we need to just we need to. It just it feels good to not be about yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it feels really good to not be com- consumed with looking at yourself in yeah. a mirror and. I think people it's refreshing when people can watch something and realize like man this is this isn't a celebrity it's not a TV show it's just a normal guy who no one knows about yeah. but he's passionate just like I'm passionate you know and I think that has been the from all the comments I've read and emails we've gotten on the episode um, that's been the most rewarding thing I think for me is just realizing like this is content I think we're all hungry for is just the content that relates real, to all of us. Real content. You know, and versus one guy, and I'm glad you're so successful and such a badass. Like, yeah. congratulations. But there's all of us out yeah. there that want... We, we care too, man. We, we, Everybody does. We are... And as you know, there's so many people out there that are so disconnected from the spotlights and could care less about it. Yeah. And man, they deserve to have their story told one of tenfolds more. You know what I mean? One of my good friends, and it, and this has been pointed out to me more in the past couple of years, having gotten involved, quote air quotes, involved in the outdoor industry. Right. You know, I didn't I didn't grow up reading Eastman's. I didn't grow up checking out big names and you know a whole lot of that kind of stuff. I just grew up. You know, you hear stories about local legends and, mm-hmm. you know, the guys that are your next door neighbor, you know, working, doing construction job or whatever, not the paid professionals. And um, I always, I got one buddy who will have a phone conversation and I'll say, I'm doing this and going to meet up with this guy and he's like do you know who that is and I'll be like I have yeah. no idea who it is uh-huh. you know it's just an, to, to me it's just another guy that hunts you know and, right. and then he'll be like oh my god let me tell you everything there is to know about X person because I've never been a person that pays attention to that the established right you know the established person because uh-huh. You know, the only difference between the established person back then and and whatever now is like, you know, my buddy, my buddy Jake will say this too. He'll say, it's amazing when you go onto Facebook or you go onto Instagram and you know badass hunters mm-hmm. and you look at their hunting page or whatever it is and they've got 300 people that follow uh-huh. their adventures and what they're doing and you look at somebody else and they have tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands yeah and it's like but that person's not even that badass of a hunter or uh-huh. you know they just knew how to market themselves right. well through social media where are they hunting and yeah what's, what exchange is being made to promote something yeah in order to hunt some exclusive spot or yeah it's right. like it, yeah it's that's a that's a shame that'll make you especially if you're working you know working in the industry I'm just really you know I'm just trying to like try not to get too jaded with all the, the stuff you see and you start learning stuff about people and what behind the scenes behind the curtain you know and it's like 
it's easy to get super jaded and real negative. Like that's easy to do, but I think it's it's important to just like let's look past that. Let's look like put that behind and let's focus on the good things. There's a lot of good things yeah. happening in the industry and uh well, let's one, just try. Let's just mute, mute out the, the nonsense. The BS of, uh, one good yeah. thing that a buddy always points out to me, and and I appreciate it a lot, is you know when he's when he's quote again air air, air quotes again when he's sizing somebody up or or trying to get a a grip on who somebody is, you know he'll look at them and you know their resume or whatever you want to say and I'll say what is this person doing for the outdoors as a whole what are mm-hmm. they what are they doing for mm-hmm. conservation you know and look at their rap sheet based off of that stuff rather than you know an ego driven person that's that a great is question claiming they're doing all this great stuff for the outdoors and then you look at their rap sheet and they really aren't doing much, you know, yeah. for for conservation or yeah. you know whatever whatever it is, you know. Yeah, there's. And many. I, I, for me, I'll use that. Absolutely, know. that's a great question. Super helpful. Yourself. Like, am I playing the role that that only I can play that I can that I'm supposed to play? Am know? I? Am you know? And it, it's funny. Am I playing? You know, like if you look at the old. Uh, hunter's education videos mm-hmm. that they'd show in classes like the yeah. old vhs that are like yeah. outdated and need to be redone uh-huh. desperately <laughs> but if you look at those old videos it's like am i playing my role as a sportsman according to that video huh. right yeah you know in that guideline yeah and that's something that i'll try to do for myself you yeah, know right. and i'll relate back to is like what can i do to help the new hunter huh. right and and not try to make it not about me and the success of my hunt or harvesting a big animal or, or mm-hmm. whatever it is. What can I do to help the next guy? You know, and and carry the tradition that way. Yeah. You know? That's awesome. You know? Yeah, man. I but think, Hunt 41 and yeah. back to the California film. Yeah. Full circle. That was a good rant. Sorry. Uh, yeah. I'll do that sometimes. Yeah, that, I'm pumped on the film. I mean, it, it's special for me because it's my... This is my home, it's my roots, yeah. you know. Hunting the public refuge, you know. Stoked that we, a friend of a friend, got me in touch with the wildlife manager at Mendota and gave us the green light to film, and you know that was huge. And was that difficult to to oh. try and get to that point to have? Because well, I've heard like it can be if I you're mean, trying to film in wilderness. Wilderness area, is impossible. Like you yeah. can't use wilderness content. No. Like if you're in wilderness lines, you can't use that content. Yeah. For advertisement. Right. I mean, there it's it's very hard to get a film permit to film in wilderness. You know, um, people some people can do it. I've I've never pursued it personally, mm-hmm. um, just because I knew it's hard and a lot of for whatever reason where we were hunting has never been in wilderness. It's always been in national forest or um, on a state refuge. You know, for waterfowl. Yeah. So. Um, so yeah, I mean we've we've always done getting permission on a on a refuge is not, uh, or I'm sorry, on a national forest is, is very doable. You just you know reach out to the forest district forest service, service station and tell them what you're after, and you know they'll give you the, the process. You know usually takes several weeks to get those permits, and it's 
can be anywhere from a hundred, couple hundred, sometimes more bucks a day in filming, you know. Um, but you just budget it in if your client wants to film there. And then um, I have one filmmaker friend who will just, he has the companies kind of handle that for him. So he's not the one trying to get the permits. And that's another way people can go about it. But um, yeah, I mean, it's good to play, you know, especially if you're like, yeah, I'm all about, you know, supporting conservation. And he's like, well, putting money into the Forest Service is actually part of that, playing that conservation game. <laughs> so if you're a content creator, and um, I'm not going to say I'm without sin, but uh, if I have tried to get permits on as many places as I possibly can. Um, and there's there's times where I'm snapping a couple photos somewhere, and I don't obviously don't have a permit, you know, for every single detail. Stuff just happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. But um, if I have a very planned out shoot, it's gonna be a production. Like, yeah, I'm trying to get, we're gonna get a permit, you know, and all that. But wilderness is tricky, man. I don't know what you do there. I know it's what I've heard. It's very hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had people in forest service stations tell me it's not impossible, but it's just I would. You'd want to budget a good six to eight months and getting that ironed out because it's just a lot of, uh, you know, they make it wilderness for a reason, you know? Um, and so any kind of, you know, extra, you know, production can be, you know, they're going to ask a lot of questions and it's going to be a lot of hoops you got to jump through to do that. But, you know, yeah, to each their own, what they feel they should do or not. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's um, we've we've had clients that be pretty adamant with us too. Like, we want to make sure this is legal and permitted, and like, yeah, hundred percent, you know. So, yeah, but yeah, one forty one is is uh plugging away, man. It's gonna be several years until we build out these films on all the states, and and then um, we'll just take it one step at a time, you know. Wherever yeah. it wants to go, it goes, and. So far, it's great. We've seen a lot of great response online. Uh, it seems like a lot of people are enjoying the films, so that's great. When you guys just um, did an event for it up in Concord, right? Yeah, yeah, up at Tangle Free Waterfowl in yeah. the East Bay there, and uh, we showed the California episode there, mm-hmm. you know, and so that was awesome. I mean, a, a pretty decent turnout, you know, and um, getting to meet. I, I just love it when you get to meet people that are like, oh, man, I... You know, I hunt here, I hunt Sacramento Refuge, or yada yada, whatever. And uh, that's awesome that you do. You know, people. When you get to meet people in real life, like we met in Utah, it's just like, mm-hmm. dude, this is what it's about. You know, yeah. it's like, it's easy to like, you know, use your thumbs and think you're just an advocate and getting to know people around the world. And definitely, that's good. It's cool how you get connected with people like all over the place. Yeah through social media but it's just something we just don't ever want to lose like man getting to meet someone for the first time that shares your passion and right like there's a dude that he's like you gotta come hunt with us this year I'm like hell yeah I would love to you know what an <laughs> honor if anyone invites you hunting yeah you always know? like um let's do it so it's yeah man like it's it's a pretty cool with the biz and you know getting to do all this I, I never saw this coming you know like all this being connected with hunters growing up hunting public land and refuges like it always felt like that pie in the sky to get the hunt in Kansas or Canada or something crazy you know something I'd never do but at this point I've hunted quite a few states and 
Um, I owe, like I said earlier, I owe my passion for bow hunting now to the content I've gotten to create for brands and fit stories you've gotten to tell. I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel like I remember the first year after I was filming a linguist, I was like, I'm going to get a tag. And I just bought an over-the-counter tag in Oregon mm-hmm. and went up there and hunted solo for seven days and called in three elk. And the first one I called in, I was like, I think it was day three. I was just getting my ass kicked. I was like, what am I doing here? I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> just walking this fire road. Had no service. Couldn't like, you know, I, you're just in your own head, you know, thinking, am I doing this right? Is this what Corey did? Yeah. Is this what Donnie did? And you know, I was walking this fire road, this old abandoned one. And I was just call, nothing. Walk another 150 yards, call, nothing. It's just like, what am I doing up here? I'm doing freaking suck at this. Yeah. And it's like, I probably don't even sound like an elk. And then I walked another 150 yards and I called and boom, this bull answered me from the bottom of this drainage. Could give you chills. And I was like, oh my God. Like, I did it right. Yeah. And yeah. it was like, I, that can't be a hunter. That has to be a bull down there. So I started like, I waited and then it bugled again at me, like pretty freaking aggressive. And I was like, all right, maybe I should go down this hill toward this bull. And I was like, started going down this grade and it was pretty pretty steep and I'm like sliding down getting it down in there and I was like shit I better knock an arrow he sounds like he's getting closer knocked an arrow I set my bugle tube down to knock an arrow knocked it and I looked up to my left and there was this bull standing 25 yards frontal looking right at me and it was so busted big yeah so busted (laughs) big outcropping and I, I I leaned back into it I went to full draw and I leaned back out and I put put it on his chest and I just, everything in me was like, no, you can't shoot a frontal on your first elk you've ever called and have an opportunity on. And so I let off and ended up playing cat and mouse with this bull for a while. But I remember walking away from that with things that Corey said to me, with things that Larry said, or things I listened to on the tapes, you know, that I was editing from Larry Jones, you know. And, you know, I remember there was this one line, I can't remember verbatim, but he was something about, like, if a bull doesn't want to come in, let him go and come back to him tomorrow. Maybe a different, you know, call will work. And, uh, so after, like, playing cat and mouse with this bull, chase, basically chasing him and his cows for an hour, I was like, I'm going to let him go. I'm going to be back here tomorrow. I'm going to kill this bull. And I, I think I just walked away from that, like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> it worked. Like, and... I wouldn't have been there with that experience looking at this. I think it was like a five point. Like it was wasn't a giant bull, but oh, it's gonna kill it if I had a shot. I think any bull with a bow is a good bull, right? Hell yeah! And it, you know, he, it, you know, I came back like three separate times, and he was they were gone. They they, they weren't there anymore. So, yeah. but I remember leaving that whole scenario and just being like, dude, I can do this. Like, and I've been getting guys hitting me up now like oh man someday I hope to do what you're doing like hunting elk I'm like you can do it just go dude you can do it like I don't care that you're from Florida dude like go like there's tons of resources online tons of people teaching isn't that the craziest part about stuff that guys like you or myself are doing is anybody can do it yeah you just have to do it yep and that's it yeah like tons of resources I mean 
it's insane what you can learn. I mean, from yeah. like what you're doing with podcasting, yeah. other guys, I mean, guys like Steve Chappell, Corey Jacobson, Paul Medell. I mean, there's all these voices that uh, Jay Scott, like mm-hmm. I love listening to him mm-hmm. talk about, you know, he's he seems pretty dialed. He and, just posted a photo like yesterday or the uh-huh. day before or some fucking stud bull, dude. Yeah, just going yeah. off. And oh, yeah. It just blows me away. I'm like, I'm three years into hunting elk on my own and I feel like, dude, I mean, with what you can learn on Onyx Maps, with where you can hunt and where you can hunt, from go hunt to learning a little bit about each unit and saying, all right, there's something to start with right there. And it, you put all these things together in the pot, and it's like, there's a ton of resource out there mm-hmm. to where that dude that hit me up out of Florida the other day, I'm like, you can do this, man. Yeah. Like, if I can do it, you can do it, yeah. you know? And it's just, I don't know, it's cool to get the kind of now play a very small role in inspiring other people to like like look man you don't have to be pro like you just got to be willing to work yeah you know if you're willing to put the work in like you can be face to face with an elk too right like, that's not impossible um yeah you know and i've had later in that same trip i actually bugled a little bull in i had him walking up on me long story short i went to full draw and my arrow popped off the knock fell to my feet I just, my mind was blowing up. <laughs> I was like, I can't believe this. And picked up that arrow, re-knocked it. The bull's closer yeah. looking for me. And it was raining, so I'm guessing that's the only saving grace I had of him not hearing me. And uh, I ended up launching the arrow and hitting a tree, deflected into a tree, and off ran the bull. Uh, and I was just like, oh, my God, I almost killed a bull. Yeah. You know? and, and then year two was... Uh, just crazy ended up calling a bull in beautiful six point and shot him hit him lot you know I thought the shot was good and two days later I still hadn't found the elk um, this is such a tragic story yeah it's a tragic story my you know the story my yeah. good friend Joel found the elk about 12 days later right and this is the bull that you had shot and yep, lost yep and it went right up this king went a lot farther than I thought he went and he went uphill, which is something I didn't think he well, was going to do. When they go uphill, dude, finding blood is so much more difficult. Yeah, it just was gone, the blood the blood yeah. trail. I must have hit him more back than I thought, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, some guys, some local dudes came in with their horses trying to help us out to get this. Joel had shot a, a raghorn and uh, had my head. and Because uh, so he had horn, found your bull. Yeah, so he had a lot more than he could. He was solo hunting. Mm-hmm. And these guys came in and... Uh, it was very tragic. A horse took a slip, fell, died down this mountain, shattered my head. Some stranger I don't even know lost his horse. Yeah. I was just like, so, I don't even know what to do with this. The bull that was never meant to leave the yeah, mountain. Yeah, so I got like a tiny little photo. You know, I think I, I showed it yeah, to you. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and, and uh, a beautiful elk. Man, I can't believe that that happened. And and then uh, you know year three as as you now like got to shoot my first bull this year just a, just a week ago yeah and uh, coming that, in on the on the uh, that was why you were like oh like last night when we were texting back yeah. and forth and I was like you know how you feeling are you feeling are you still feeling up for it I was like I hope he doesn't back out because <laughs> we're in the in the middle of you. your mayhem right yeah, now yeah like literally in between two yeah, trips yeah I'm just trying to get some work done at home to get just be right back in the mountains with hunting with and it's my all wife archery all archery yeah i mean i've rifle hunting is great great 
I mean, I've gotten it's to shoot a hand, but it's not archery, man. It's yeah. the intimacy that you get with those animals. And as um, Corey would always tell me when we were hunting elk, he's like, archery hunting starts where rifle hunting ends. Yeah, you know, it literally. And, I mean, my first year, or my, my second year in Wyoming hunting elk, I, I, I could have shot a dozen elk. I mean, it's, it's for archery season, so yeah. give me that. But there were so <laughs> many moments of like, that bull's 100 yards. Yeah. Like, and then one little thing wouldn't line up, you know, where ah, he busted me or he's, he located my bugle and there's no bull and he's out, wind shifted, whatever. You know, there's a there's 101,000 reasons why, right. you know, it doesn't work out. But I don't know, man. Like, that challenge is huge. Like, I so love it. It's addicting. In, in learning archery, mm-hmm. how important and how imperative was it for you to use an archery pro shop because you you have oh, a yeah. you have a pro shop here yeah. that you go to in town i mean you yep. originally got your first bow off some old timer it was yep. a hoyt yeah and you know you said you went into starting to use an archery pro shop yeah yeah and, and i always hammer this home i have my archery pro shop west coast archery that's the one that i use in petaluma california awesome. great staff the relationship that I've been able to develop with the owners of my shop mm-hmm. over years of using it has yeah. been amazing. Mm-hmm. And because I go to a pro shop where they are hunters. Yeah. And I've hunted with them over the years. I've gotten to go on some hunts mm-hmm. with them and you know I've had that opportunity. Yeah. How important that has been for me in developing my own skills as an archer. Yeah. So what you know why don't you tell me your archery shop the pro shop you use Uh here in town Uh you're you know we're in san luis obispo right yeah so there's there's a shop here um it's one of the only uh bow shops within hundreds of miles of this area Mm -hmm. uh it's called central coast archery and uh the guys in there scott and joel wilson um they i mean joel is one of my best friends and i consider him like my hunting partner you know, so I have that going for me. I got you know these are these are not just guys that help me. Was with he my, at Total Archery Challenge? He was. Yeah. He was. I met him there. Yeah, a little yeah. taller yeah. dude. Yeah, um, super nice guy. Yep, super yeah, duper he, nice guy. He's an incredible shot, and yeah. he he shoots a lot of competition stuff too. Yeah. But um, we, I mean, he's kind of been there from day one with my my bow hunting. You know, learning, holding your hand, yeah. For and sure. but how how important has that been for Huge. your in your role as right. developing your archery? I mean, skills. yeah, because I've had guys Nunchuck that are like skills. almost like I don't know Katana that you would place skills. on a pedestal, and you're just like, man, they're like leading the way in a lot of things. Trailblazing, huge, huge influence. You know, huge influences. But I think just having someone that's willing to grind with you, yeah, and like be patient with you, and like uh, not rub it in or stand over you like you don't know and mm-hmm. and I've been around those those hunt camps where guys are just like basically smirking at the the newbie constantly and just yeah. like got and annoyed I have it's difficulty like, dude, with that you know it's like you had to start somewhere like right mm-hmm. someone helped you, you somebody you held your hand born okay. a bow hunter like someone had to teach you how to do this yeah so why don't you put a feather in your own cap and help somebody else? You know what I mean? Like, um, I do think you collect feathers when you see them in the forest? <laughs> Sometimes. I have a plethora yeah. of feathers. It's so terrible. It's a, it's a cool one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do collect some duck feathers off the, some of the prettier ducks I oh, get oh, to cool. shoot. You yeah. know, um, that, that's fun. But, uh, 
yeah, yeah help I the mean, new guy I think I don't know like so this guy dude Joel has been a huge blessing to me and like helping me just learn and questioning you know I'll have all these questions from my broadhead my arrow setup mm-hmm. um, you know this is not see, doesn't seem to be working for me like it works for him but it doesn't work for me and him kind of working through you know and that's the cool thing about I think a bow shop is you don't they're not you're not going to walk in there and be like give me what's the best setup and it's like well dude what might be best for you is super different for me and you know like Joel shoots a Hoyt and loves them to pieces like I love my Matthews like, I'm the same I'm the same I, way I don't man. know I mean I, I just love my Matthews setup I, I and, shoot a Matthews it's, I know it's a little heavier but I kind of like that weight and um, from it, using a carbon yeah yeah and I mean my first bow was, was a Hoyt and uh, it was great I shot a lot of squirrels with it what Matthews are you shooting I'm shooting verdicts so isn't that bow like it's amazing dude so when they came out with the triax last year, right, I had switched over to the triax. Yeah, and I was like, "All right, this is a, a phenomenal bow, yeah. dead in the hand." Uh-huh. Like, I, I didn't think that Matthews would be like, "Hey, we're going to create a bow, and it's twenty percent better." That's how they were framing yeah. it up right, last right, year right. Yeah. when they're dropping the verdicts. And I went in and I shot it, and I was like, "How the fuck? Like, yeah. how do like yeah. if?" If you could get 20% better uh-huh. than where the triax was at for me, yeah. it was the verdicts. Yeah. And that was like my direct experience putting that bow in my hand right. and shooting it. Yeah. And it was just like, Matthews, how do you do this? Right. So, like, you know, I'm a little biased because we did do the verdicts launch film. and the Did you really? Thing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, I had no fucking clue. Yeah, yeah. so that was how <laughs> Yeah. And so I'm a little biased. So yeah. someone might be like, oh, he works for Matthews. Or yeah. The, you know, bullshit, whatever. Yeah. No, I... I I mean, I have nothing against other other bows. I got good friends that shoot primes, and I have good friends that shoot. I bow, uh, yeah, buddies you know, that shoot bows all across how, the board. Hell yeah, PSEs at, and like, at the end of the day, as an archer, it's really what feels best in the, in the, an individual's hand. Yep. Whether it's Matthews Hoyt PSE Bear, yeah. you know, fucking totally. whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, and it's like. I don't know. I just I have the same story though. I had the triax last year. That's uh-huh. the one I shot that elk with. Yeah. You know, and your I first it, elk. I had it set. Yeah, my my first elk I shot. Yeah. yeah, and so that one is. I had it set up at a seventy five pound let off. So I felt like I wanted more tension. Uh-huh. Thought maybe that'll help my stability a little bit more. And um, and I loved it to pieces. I liked how small it was, yeah. you know? Like, I felt, like, real compact. I felt like a ninja out there. Right. You know? And uh, Slinking through the field. And then, they, then I got got my hands on a verdicts, and I was like, damn, this thing is they did it, freaking though. sweet. Like, yeah. they, it, they it, actually it, did it, though. It wasn't just a, a big marketing thing. Like At when all. When I shot it, I was like, this feels incredible. When, it like, was, when I read the card and saw the, the film, which I had no idea you yeah. did, but when I yeah. saw that, and I was like... I was like, there's no way that it's 20%, yeah. you know. When Matt's doing that analogy, ripping the paper. Yeah. 20% off death. Yeah. You know, and I, mean, I was like, there's no way. And then I shot it, and I was like, like literally mind yeah, blown that yeah. like they actually did that shit. Yeah, yeah. Like it was accomplishable, and they, uh-huh. and they accomplished that. Yeah. I don't know where they can go further from where they're at yeah. now. Yeah. I and I mean, we'll probably know. find out what it is that they're doing in the next yeah, a month months. and a half, yep, right. you know, two months. Yeah, but. I personally don't know a lot um, yeah. what's coming out next, but um, we have a few projects we're, we're in the works with them right now. Nice. It's just been cool 
you know, as you saw in the film, you know, we got to kind of really know their operation and kind of what they're building out there. And their facilities. And uh, it's, it's phenomenal, man. They really, the quality um, that's going into those bows is pretty amazing. And there's a huge team of people working on, on all the bows. And, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm a big fan. <coughs> They've helped me dial in my setup. Even working with a bow shop that aren't mm -hmm. typically like a hardcore Matthew shop. They've been helping me like figure out everything from I mean the biggest question personally I had this season I think was uh, what broadhead do I want to shoot on what the broadhead on the elk? Are you so I shot a rage uh, expandable you know the titanium rage on that uh, on that elk mm -hmm. I just shot last week and I went back and forward with man I, I don't you hear a horse stories yeah uh-huh and you hear horror stories of guys just saying, oh, they, you know, they're, they're it not strong expand. enough, it's not going to expand, yeah. or it's going to deflect, or yada, yada. But so man, what's your arrow weigh? Uh, Overall, what's your arrow weigh? So I think I'm over 400-something. I should know for sure exactly yeah. what it is, but um, I'm fours. shooting about 30, or I'm shooting 75 pounds. Um, you know, I don't have a 28-inch draw length, so it's not... What's your draw length? 28-inch. Oh, it yeah. is? Oh, yeah. okay. So, um... You know, I'm not a super tall, long guy, but I yeah. can't, you know. I'm the same, a 28 yeah. inch draw length. I shoot a 450 arrow. Yeah. I and I shoot it the, the Rage, uh, the new one they just came out with, the okay. no collar is what I've been shooting this year. Oh, okay. And uh, it's the hypodermic no collar. From okay. what I understand, they're going to be coming out with a tripan no collar, maybe. Oh, very cool. And the no collar is the bee's knees. Really? Not having to deal with the collar. Oh, okay. oh, the little plastic collar. Yeah, the little plastic oh, collar that holds okay. the yep. broadhead together. Right. Yeah, because when you're Dynamite. thrashing around in the forest, that was the one thing I found myself needing to tighten those things. Look in there, look in my yeah. my arrow, you know, quiver, and just like, oh, shit, I better tighten that one up. You right. know? And that's just on the, the user, I think, you know. But the blood trail that I tracked on my elk, I mean, I shot him at 15 yards. You know, Joel called him up, and... I, we just knew that we had an elk bugling and raking below us. I had no idea what he was. Yeah. And was like, at this point, I think it was day four in my trip, and Joel had already tagged out on a, a funky little raghorn, and, and then all of a sudden this thing came through the woods, and here he comes, and it's just a small little raghorn, and I was like, he's little, but he's mine. Yeah. And he came. He could have took a, a right turn or a left turn and kind of given me a real hard shot uh, through, through a bunch of brush. Uh, through some holes in the trees, but he ended up coming into this opening and he stared at me frontal for about a minute. And I'm just against this tree, just holding still. And it was just, just, I don't know, chilling, man. <laughs> this, this big, it's still a beast of an elk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I was looking at him like, oh man, he's huge. Yeah. And then he went behind the tree, went to full draw. And because he stared at me for so long, I was too nervous to cow call him to stop. Um, I felt like he might, I might jump him or spook him. So I ended up just shooting while he was walking. It was 15 yards. Put it on, put it on the boilermaker, and, and uh, you yeah. know, ended up punching him through, double lunging him. And that thing went past. It didn't pass completely through the elk, mm -hmm. but it went all the way in. He was slightly quartering away. And then eventually worked itself out probably like 60 yards down the blood trail. No way. And the hole, you know, it's a two-inch cut. So that that hole, I could show you pictures on my phone of like 
basketball size blood sprays on trees. We were following trees that had these huge blood sprays. Every time Coming he was out of, breathing. Yeah, every yeah, time he, breath, every he was time, taking a breath of air, it was just psh. Yeah, even with that, I was still just like, okay, I've been here before. I've seen a lot of blood. I don't want to lose is it. Where is he? <laughs> I was just like, where is he? He should be right here. And yeah. I was freaking out. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we it's came so into a terrifying. pile of blood. And we're like, where the heck is he? And then it was just kind of down in this cut below me mm-hmm. on my right. And I'm like, I just fell to my knees and was just like, so thankful for this giant animal that I'm gonna put hands on. Like, yeah, you know, and oh, that's so I just, great. you know, I was like, wow, it, it, it all worked. Yeah, you know, like, and so that obviously I'm not like saying that, that that's the broadhead. It yeah. worked. It worked for you, the, and it's, it's legal here in yeah. California. The hypodermic, the hypodermics have worked yeah. for me for shit nine years, awesome. eight years, or yeah. however long they've been out. That was that was cool. Now. Going, I'm going to Idaho on Saturday, as you know, and I'll be shooting a kudu point. Mm-hmm. So, other end of the spectrum, you know, I'm fixed. You know, shooting a fixed blade single bevel, and uh, so I'm interested to see kind of what that, what that's going to do. You know, shooting them at, at home at the target, like everything's flying the same as my my field tips. So, oh, that's convenient. Yeah, I was like, oh wow, nice. I'll take so, it. Hey, this you is know. great. All right, I don't have to do any <laughs> yeah. tuning here, and uh, and then my wife will actually be shooting the same. Ones, you know, she has a, a little bit. I think she's shooting 45, 48 pounds. She's shooting a veil or a veil, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yep. And so she shoots good, man. It's she just. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to hunt with my wife. How's that feel? <laughs> it's crazy, dude. I, I'm super stoked. I mean, I think I I feel a lot better the fact that I I have one tag out of the way and and successful meat in the There's freezer. There's meat on the yeah. You know, like I'm good, like, and so my big goal is like, I just want to make this extremely fun for her. Yeah. I want her to have a good time. I want her to just walk away. We're bringing the pop-up camper. We're gonna bring burger. We're gonna bring tons of food. You know, like in Wyoming, I'm just like, you know, you're living off bars for. Well, so yeah. 10 speaking days. of food, what do you usually eat when you're in the backcountry? What are you, are you eating? Like a little bit of everything, man. As far as everything's, uh, you know pre-packaged freezer dried you know yeah. so um we were only overnight in the backcountry one night of our trip yeah um but everything else was hunting out of the truck you know and kind of doing day loops you know on different off different roads and stuff but um uh, have you I ever tried so peak refuel I have not. You have not. I, I have not. I need to try it. Oh, I've I have some them. in my truck. Oh man, I'll leave epic. you with some of my favorite meals oh, today. Oh I mean, having had a lot of experience with many different freeze dried food companies, okay. from like really healthy and yep. low sodium to you know maximum Mountain House sodium uh, and yeah. and everything else, yeah. you know, down to you know some. Uh, some whatever some other stuff yeah peak refuel has for me been like my favorite okay that i've that i've had that i've had yeah their their beef marinara is like all right hands down and like the funny thing was when i first uh met the guys from peak refuel Uh like they're doing little sample cups i was like oh whatever dude like this shit is gonna be bunk just like the rest of them right yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it is what it is it's backpacking food right yeah, it's not right. gonna be that great it's freeze dry and i went and i they had a beef marinara out and i shot that back and i was like uh-huh. cool let me get another one uh-huh. <laughs> like let me get another. The they're like all right get out of here yeah, dude. Right you're on. eating all our food yeah, yeah but yeah i mean 
I, I've got some. I'll give there you some. There was a dude on our, one of my good friends, Scott, who was who was uh, we're all hunting with. Um, he had some. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. He he's. I was looking at the calories. And I was like, wow, packing some calories. Well, not only that, but like, dude, it's so high in protein. It's like 41, 40 wow. grams plus per. That's awesome. Double serving bag, which yep. you know, for me, I I bank off of a lot of protein. Yeah, I'm well, the same way. Yeah, the breakfast stuff that I've used, I've been using throughout waterfowl season is uh, with the dudes at Off Grid up in mm-hmm. uh, Pacific Northwest there. And I've loved their, all their breakfast stuff. I haven't had what a do they have for breakfast? Try. I mean, it's just like different oatmeals and stuff okay. and like packed with calories. So like they do, they do a, a granola. I'm not a big freeze-dried egg fan. Okay. At all. Like huh. I have a real difficult time yeah, eating yeah. freeze-dried eggs. Uh-huh. I don't know if it's a consistency. Yeah. What it is, it's just weird to me. So I don't really eat that, but like granola, freeze-dried berries, all right. kinds of stuff like that. They have one that's like mountain berry granola. That's Very cool. I want to try that. Yeah, that for sure. Awesome. For sure. You yeah. should. So back to it, your wife. Yeah. So you guys, you're bringing your pop-up. Yep. yep. You're going to have, so it's going to be kind of like the comfort and luxury at home. So yeah. Trying to make it comfortable, trying to make it. Smoother just, over into like a. Yeah. She, a gnarly hunt. So she caught me <laughs> off guard big time with wanting to even go now, with me. When did she approach you about wanting to come hunt with you? So it's, it's funny. I was over in, I think I told you, I went and hunted Lanai. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was over there and uh, bow hunting, axis deer, getting my ass kicked. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, having a ball, but it was hard. And she's texting, you know, I'd service the whole time. She's texting me. She's like, started texting me like elk facts and different things and elk do this during the day i'm like what are you where are you hearing this stuff you know what are you doing? like what are you doing and she, and uh she's like i'm reading one of dwight's books that you left and uh this book just called bugling for elk mm-hmm. and uh it's an old school from dwight shoe you know one of the you know he's passed on at this point but he was in our elk fever three film and uh best friends with larry jones and anyway epic moments they shared on film together oh man yeah and know he like um he's you know was uh going you know sharing the anyway shared telling me about different books he's wrote one's called bow hunter cyclopedia and uh this other one called bugling for elks i read bugling for elk left it at home Amazing book, just great, like old school 80s, like bow hunting. But a lot of this stuff is the same stuff, you know, we're dealing with. Anyway, uh, Nicole started reading it and she's like, Hey, do you think that you'd have time to take me hunting, elk hunting this year? I'm like, Hell yeah. yeah. Are you kidding? I will make time. <laughs> yeah, you know? like, like, absolutely. When am I ever going to hear my You're wife sold. say, <laughs> I mean, obviously, selfishly, I'm like, This means elk hunt number two. Yeah. And, uh, and if we can. Golly, if I can get her to just really fall see in love with it, why I'm so obsessed with these animals and hunting them this way, and that would be a dream, you know. Whether we get one or not, it's, a, it's an either sex tag, you know, so we have a chance. We have two tags, so she's got a tag, I got a tag. So, mm-hmm. I mean, golly, if, if this happens, <laughs> I'm gonna need to buy some more freezers, yeah. And uh, but anyway, she had like this end of the month where, like, well, I you know the elk are going to be a little more herded up but they should be vocal if anything and um let's just get out let's get out there you know i've seen plenty of elk killed in the end of this month you know and um idaho is a great option for getting over the counter you know and doing something different um 
So we're going into kind of a new area and, you know, done a lot of research and, you know, Google Earth it and Onyx and I'm just excited for her to just be in it with me and hopefully, I hope she just loves it. You know, she has a great time. That's my goal is for her to have a great time. Mm -hmm. You know, whatever we're given, cool if we have a shot on a bowl like she she actually told me she's like I want I want you to kill the first elk I'm like babe I just killed an elk like I just killed my first elk I just did kill the first elk yeah Yeah. (laughs) I'd I'd love for you to get after it and so she's she we had about five days to get after it together and uh, I don't know man I'm just stoked for her you know walk around with a bow and yeah see what see her face light up when she hears a bugle and if anything we're gonna hear some elk you know yeah and um that's going to be special. So, and then now that we have a little one, we have a little three-year-old. I mean, the times that just me and her get together are are fewer and far between, you know. So this is pretty special. You know, my folks are going to be watching our boy. And this is going to become your every year. I hope so. Your every year vacation. Dude, I hope together. so, man. Yeah. I hope that. I would love it if one day we're just every we're all going. All hunting. three of you. Yeah, we're just all out there. And even my boy, like ten years from he now, he sends. I could show you videos on my phone, man. He gets his little high squeaky voice, and yeah. he puts a bugle tube up to it. He sounds good. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you're gonna be you're gonna be out there thrashing the before money, I know for it. Sure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> He's gonna fall in love with this, yeah. and, and uh, we're gonna be bow. I can't wait for that day that I get to start showing him bow hunting and and duck hunting. You know, it's like um, I do feel a little bit bummed that I didn't grow up bow hunting. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like I'd be quite a bit farther along, and um, but that's okay. You know, it's just part of the journey. I get to hopefully get my son inspired with it, and yeah. if he doesn't want it, that's fine. I'll yeah. be I'll be out there. So so that is actually going to lead me. There's a part of the podcast, and it's yeah. called the Dead Eye Minute, and okay. it's for fun. All okay. right, Dead Eye Outfitters. They are a t-shirt, hat, and apparel company. Hoodies, socks. I love their socks. They're nice. super super Ooh. comfortable socks. All right, um, but they they sponsor a minute. And it's usually a jackassy question, a funny question. <laughs> Sometimes it's a serious question. Yeah. So what would it be like for you if you came home one day, and this is 10 years, 15 years from now, and your son says, sits you down and says, Dad, I'm anti-hunting and I'm a vegan. Yeah. You can't have that around me anymore. What's your reaction? Well, man, obviously that would be... That's heartbreaking. Be a little it's, bummed. Yeah, it's yeah, difficult. Yeah, be a little bummed. It, I mean, um, I, I get I it. This is a, a delicate This uh, is a delicate situation yeah, to navigate yeah. through right now. Uh, I, You know, like I was saying earlier, I mean, like, I don't want to be the kind of person like that's uh, it's my, my way is the way. Mm-hmm. Like, and we're all learning and growing and... And I think, I think if uh, I would, I would look at that question or that statement and say, "All right, that's where you are right now, and that's okay." Still, my son, still love you. I'm still gonna do what I love I'm to do. I'm still gonna do it. <laughs> like I got, you know. But I think in time, I know that uh, with just following up with, I'd have a lot of questions for him. You know, just like what, why, and where did you know, 
what's the goal? What's the big goal here? Is this pop culture? Is this actually a true conviction? Is mm-hmm. something you really feel I like that strong? question. Is this pop culture? Yeah, there's a ton of pop yeah. culture, man. All there's day. Ton, tons of trends. Tons yeah. of people get on this, this you know, I'm a me hunter, whatever, you know. Picking a camp, it's just easy to do that. Yeah. It's easy to pick a camp. But when you really get down to, like, what makes you who you are, pull away all the titles and all the brands and all the things that distract from, like, why you tick, yeah. you know, that's what I would probably try to dig at with him. <laughs> you know, it's like, who is this someone else's cute idea that inspired you? That's cool. If that's something you want to get after for a little while, yeah. you know, I hope you have an epic, epic garden. <laughs> right. And, uh, but, you know, I think it, as long as, as long as his convictions don't become a negative judgment of someone else, then I'm, I'm pretty good with whatever, yeah. you know. But the second when you see people's, like, passion and convictions start to tear away at who someone else is yeah. and what they're about, like, then it's kind of like, shit, that's kind of going against what I think we should be as people right. and fellow human beings on this earth, right. you know. And, like, I get it. Not all my friends are going to hunt. Yeah. And that's totally fine. Right. But the second that they try to claw at me take away from who who i am um then it's then it becomes a little bit uh, not just divisive but destructive you know discouraging yeah so i think i would have good faith that in good time he would uh come around and (laughs) reverse that role i mean you hear those stories too right like people i was a vegan and now i'm a bow hunter i mean there's a couple of my really good friends man yeah there was a couple in the bow shop Uh, we were doing a film showing at the bow shop one night and uh, actually, Larry Jones was in town and teaching a seminar. That was pretty awesome. And this couple was from L.A. And they're like, yeah, we used to be anti-hunting and vegan. Now they're like recurved bow hunters mm-hmm. picking the hardest way to try to kill something. But they that insane how people do that? Yeah. You know, like, all right, man. Awesome. Good luck. Golly, that's going to be hard. Get some training but, wheels. Um, ease ease yeah, the road a little ease bit. Ease a little. Yeah, for sure. But I think they've been successful on a few hunts so that's that's right it's a, it's a couple husband wife uh deal and uh so anyway you hear those stories how people can hit that 180 and just all of a sudden this is a new phase in life and changing and i don't know i, I would just want my boy to always know i support him mm-hmm. with whatever he's passionate about if it's not hunting that's okay mm-hmm. i have a brother who grew up in the exact same household scenario culture everything who is just not that into hunting yeah. you know and that's okay like I still love him still my brother mm-hmm. and uh, he's into other things like disc golf and you know that's cool yeah like um, so I think it's yeah I want I'd want Cal to be yeah no I'm, I'm for him all Support the time him no matter what yeah I'm, I'm for whatever he wants to be about and uh, but uh, that I, I want him to just truly be himself, you know, and not let any of the, the BS that surrounds us in this day and age divide him or turn him into someone else's puppet, you yeah. know, and parrot, whatever. Right. But, um, yeah, so, I don't know. Good, man. You got a you got a good week coming up. Yeah, dude, I'm extremely stoked. I mean, when I was driving out of the mountains in Wyoming, I just, like, got in service and was like, 
I think I, crap, I think were again. you like getting into service when I text you earlier this week and yeah. was like, where's the pictures of the elk? <laughs> yeah, 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 I was. I was and you were like right here, motherfucker. Because yeah. it hadn't even, you hadn't even said you shot was, one yet yeah, or anything. I hadn't said anything online. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was just like still just like, I just knew that you were in the field and it had to have happened. So uh, I was like, all right, yeah. man, I haven't I seen anything. I had a handful anything. of iPhone photos yeah. on my phone. And yeah. I was just like, you know, thanking, sending them to a few friends and, you know, shared some stuff with you. It just like. Still, I'm still feel like I'm riding on just cloud nine, just like, yeah, wow, this just happened, yeah. you know. And uh, I mean, I haven't completely finished all my meat is done in the freezer, that's already given meat away to friends, and right, been eating elk the last you know three days, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but I just, yeah, I can't believe that we're going to be back in it, you know. I'm getting the, the hunt on my own with my wife, and then uh, a few days solo after she has to go home for some work, um pretty much probably to the end of the season if we don't tag out before that um and then i join up with Corey jacobson and um donnie drake and we're gonna be another guy named tony mudd i don't know if you know him uh russ meyer donnie drake does some really good photography yeah yeah yeah, he's 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 rad and great guy so we we'll be like helping a kid out with getting an elk getting his first elk i think this kid's from ohio never elk hunted before and he's How getting cool. the tag of a lifetime yeah so that'll be extremely fun to see this kid be a part of capturing you know yeah uh, then i'll be in montana later in october filming another elk hunt out there yeah um for birch barrel and that's going to be exciting and i just yeah man it's all good stuff exciting right. stuff well hopefully when you're out there with birch barrel we'll be yeah. crossing paths in montana good and uh, cooking a cooking a venison flip flop in the Birch yeah. Barrel parking lot, that would having be a good time off the Kohlrabi on my way. Yeah, over to Roll it or Oakstone on yeah. my way from here to Oakstone on Kohlrabi cool. and cool, cool. Check in with him and see how he's doing. Awesome. Yeah, but that sounds epic. Yeah, I'm I'm pumped. You know, and before before we wrap this up, something that you. A point that you brought up, and, and we can make this a quick tangent, but I really loved how you said archery hunting begins where rifle hunting ends. Mm. And that is so real. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, you know, my good example of that for this year is going to be when. Uh, I spotted my buck because I still hunt, right? So when I spotted my California buck that I shot this year, I spotted him at 93 yards through the timber. Wow. And I got into 45 yards while he was feeding. Every time he put his head down and feed, he's chewing, right? So, like, my noise is going to be a little bit masked by the sounds that's going on in his Mm -hmm. mouth and Mm -hmm. his jaw and the crunching. Mm -hmm. And closing 93 to 45... Mm on an animal where I'm just slowly moving through the timber is absolutely something else. Wow. And it's it's such an experience and you don't get it with rifle. Yeah. I mean, you can get it with rifle hunting. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Sure. I've killed plenty of rifle. Yeah. Rifle deer and elk. Oh, yeah. It's, so, it's exciting, but there's something... Something completely different. It's just different. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I just really like how the, you framed that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That, that was something that was shared with me, you know, a few years back and it stuck with me. It's like kind of helped me make sense a little more of like why it's like you just want to keep going. Yeah. You know, let's just go a little farther and make this. You see how guys get so addicted to bow hunting. Yeah. Because there's something it's such primal, a beast within itself. There's something 
that's uh, ancient about it. Yeah. There's something that is just pushing us to really what you think is impossible getting that close when I was when that elk was standing in front of me at 15 yards I couldn't maybe even less, imagine dude you know when I ranged it all I was like oh, that's 14 13 seeing the 15, veins and underneath know? its skin I mean you know? he just stared into my soul felt like he's just staring at me just you know like alright he notices something is weird here is he gonna jump and is he not he sure what's going on just put his head down and kind of keep feeding and walking up you know walking to the collar behind us and and uh I mean, it was just something else, man. Being that close to a wild animal in his world, like, it just really does something to you that um, you feel it. stirs up a intimacy with the wild, yeah. you know? And uh, I think I can't get enough of that. You yeah. know, I want, I just hope I can do this for as many years as guys like Larry. Yeah. You know, he's 78. Up, he's hunting Arizona right now for elk. Yeah. And uh, 78. 78, dude. Yeah. And I was like, I hope that's me. Yeah. You know, I'm going to try to take care of Super myself. Super nice fella, too. Yep. Yeah. He's, he's awesome, man. He's just, yeah. So, anyway, yeah, man. Right on. Good times. So, in closing, why don't you introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you missed that. In the oh, beginning. right. I didn't Completely. do that. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Ben Potter, and I uh, own a company called Con Outdoors, and live here in San Luis Obispo, California, and from California in the Bay Area originally, and came down this way for school, and never left. Never left, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a duck hunter, a bow hunter, and just love the outdoors. Right. Yeah. You have any concluding thoughts before we close out? Oh dear. Um, yeah, I don't know. I really appreciate you having me on, getting to chat about this stuff. I feel like I can talk about hunting and all day work long. all day long, <laughs> man. It's just exciting stuff. I mean, I'm, I guess, you know, whether it's video or bow hunting or duck hunting or any of these things, I think any most people that are chiming in on this, I imagine, are hunters. Um, but I just, from the short time that I've been bow hunting, I feel like I've had a lot of people that, have treated it like it's this thing that they could never touch it's beyond them or and I don't know I just would like to say that I am the guy that would would never have seen himself doing these kind of hunts or making these kind of films or whatever and I just think if just get after what you want to get after I mean it sounds so so simple do make the content and the films and the photos that you want to make because only you can see it that way and only you know those stories. Um, don't let anything get in the way of that. If that's a sponsor or if that's a camera that you don't have, like find a way to just get after and do what you really feel like you're supposed to do. And as far as these hunts go, man, just know that I'm, I'm like the freaking worst bow hunter there possibly could be. <laughs> and it's somehow working, you know, so... Um, get after it because I know if I can do it you can do it yeah <laughs> and uh yeah so I, I think that's all I'd want to leave people with right on uh, man yeah well thanks very much right on thanks for tuning into the show folks if you'd like to check us out online our website is www.theflipflopguide.co you can find out all the information you need to have your own flip flop in your own backyard we encourage this, and we'd love to see this happening in every backyard across America. You can purchase our sauces that have been cranking out flip-flops from my grandfather since the 1960s. 
If you had trouble filling your tags this year, we also have available on our website, Maui Nui Axis Deer Legs. They're 100% USDA approved and ready for your consumption. Don't forget to check us out on Instagram at the flip flop guy. We hope you have a great day. Thanks for tuning in and don't forget to smash that subscribe button.